Every day you hear rumors and threats of war in various parts of the world, but no impending threat of war has been more alarming than in the Middle East. The Bible actually predicts that a great time of peace is coming before the world is engulfed in a great final war known as Armageddon. So it's going to be a time of peace that the world is yearning for, but tragically, it will not be a real and lasting peace. It'll be a dangerous, subversive peace. According to the New Testament, when the world cries for peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But the good news is that deliverance and safety are promised for the righteous. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. There's much talk of the so-called peace deal of the century, but the Bible does predict that it will be dangerous in the last days to put our trust in any man and any politician or any government that proposes a peace pact between Israel and her neighbors. In fact, the New Testament predicted that in the last days, people will cry for peace and safety but then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. That verse is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. Rather than believing the gospel and hope for the future as revealed in the Bible, people are going to cling to a false peace that will ultimately be engineered by a false messiah. This is because, and it's the goal of the forces of darkness to soothe lost souls into a deadly sleep rather than being watching and alert, watching for the second coming of Jesus, the true Prince of Peace, to put this world right and to set things in godly order. The story is told of a man who watched a drove of pigs following a farmer to the slaughterhouse. The man asked the farmer, My friend, how did you manage to induce all those pigs to follow you to the slaughterhouse? Oh, that was easy, said the farmer. As I came along, I kept dropping bits of food, so they followed me. And so the story illustrates that the devil seduces multitudes to follow him to an everlasting slaughterhouse. The broad way of destruction is literally littered with the inducements of the devil. And that is why the Bible informs us that the coming of the Lord will be a great surprise to most of the people in the world. Jesus told it will be so. But the sudden appearing of the Lord to the godly who belong to him and who are waiting patiently for his coming will be a joyous, glorious day of deliverance for the upright. The children of the light are not living in darkness so that the day of the Lord will take us by total surprise. 
But tragically, many people, even nations, are being lulled into a false peace of which Jesus solemnly warned us against in the Gospels. This false peace of the last days will be a deadly peace because its purpose ultimately will be religious deception. We hear much on the news all the time about hurricanes and the damage that they inflict, but a much more serious hurricane is forecast in the Bible. The hurricane of God's wrath against all of the sins that are mounting up in society. So in our ministry, we try regularly to emphasize the importance of watching and praying so that we will not enter into temptations and the end time deceptions. In fact, the Holy Scriptures warn us that when men are shouting the loudest for peace and safety, it's then that destruction will be sudden, unexpected, and inescapable. Both Jesus and Paul said it will happen as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. And we all know that a thief comes without prior warning and at such an hour as people aren't expecting him to break in. And a thief takes care to try to conceal his plan. But those who are wise will discern the times that we're living in. Tragically, the unspiritual people, the worldlings and the ungodly are not going to interpret the signs all around us in their true light, or they won't even notice the signs of the times as being significant, such as the rebirth of the nation of Israel and the retaking of Jerusalem as the capital of a Jewish state. These are enormous end-time signs, as are all the plans underway to construct a third temple in Jerusalem and to reinstate the sacrificial system. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that the wicked and the careless are not going to escape because the catastrophe of the day of the Lord will be as devastating, he said, as the deluge, the flood in the days of Noah. He also said it was going to be the same as in the days of Lot, when people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. They were not aware of the horrific destruction by fire that loomed over their heads when suddenly Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The ungodly and the careless are not going to escape today, but Jesus admonished us in Luke 21, 36 to watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I believe that verse, Luke 21, 36, is one of the biblical references to the specific future event known as the rapture, also known as the sudden translation of the saints, the great snatch mentioned in the New Testament when the Lord himself will descend into the atmosphere and catch up the dead and living believers together in the clouds to be forevermore with the Lord. So how is it that the righteous are going to be prepared to escape? It will be because of continual watchfulness and a daily walk with the Lord. Keeping a clean conscience and having all of our sins covered by the atoning blood of Jesus. Paul said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. But the unbelievers are living in a state of darkness 
darkness in their understanding and in their hearts. They're not sons of light. They're not children of the day. They're living in darkness, rebelling against God, touting evolution rather than biblical creation and so forth, doing whatever is right in their own eyes, changing morality to suit themselves rather than honoring the precepts of God. Thus, their allegiance is to the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says such people are either willingly or at least subliminally controlled by the world rulers of darkness. So then let's not slumber into a spiritual stupor as do all the rest, but let's watch and be sober. While the unsaved rushed about burdened by the cares of this world, they are in a deceptive, oblivious state, especially when it comes to the issue of eternal life. But a true believer is to be an evangelist in word or deed, while at the same time conducting our lives as a watchful sentinel at our post. Every day we must approach reality that this could be the day of the rapture or the day of death. Although the righteous are promised long life, no one knows for sure the day of his or her departing. Just this week, we received the news of the untimely death of a beloved brother in the Lord. Nobody was expecting him to die this week, but he was involved in an accident. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that death can come suddenly, as can the rapture, the translation, the great snatch of the saints. I recall how I was saved by God from a deadly accident when I was only 16 years old. Our car was hit by a train and the accident happened so quickly that I didn't have time to repent. I thank God that I was already saved and born again at that age, should my life had been abruptly ended that day. But many people are living carelessly with no thought of eternity and whether or not they are saved or unsaved. They don't give it any thought. But the woman who is pregnant with child knows that she eventually is going to give birth. She's going to go into labor. She knows the season of the birth, but not the exact hour that her labor pains will begin. So likewise, we also know that the Lord will appear, but the moment itself we don't know. Our prayer to the Lord of Harvest should be for Him to help us to read and to understand the signs of the times and to see the way that our world is headed and to make the most of the time, soul winning while there's yet time. Our hope is not to look for Antichrist, but to watch for Jesus, the Messiah himself, who will take us to the place prepared for us in glory. So many in Israel are still looking and hoping for the false Messiah. And we have the solemn responsibility to warn Israel and the world that they're hoping yet for a false peace. But after enduring so much warfare and terrorism, we of course can't blame them for craving peace. But at the end of the day, the only one, the Bible says, who can grant Israel and the world real and lasting peace is the Prince of Peace, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. Meanwhile, people are concerned about the planet as if this is the only world they're ever going to know. They're caught up in the issue of climate change and so forth. Yet, God says in this word, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness will dwell. 
because people don't know the Bible and they haven't studied eschatology. And eschatology is simply the study of the end times as outlined in the Bible. They're focusing their energies on climate change and environmental issues. And they're planning and spending vast sums of money to develop space travel to escape what they perceive to be a doomed planet Earth. Others are busy promoting globalism, microchipping identities, and a common currency. But because we're living in times when the prophesied Antichrist will emerge, we have to note that first there will come a period of peace, but it will be a false peace, a false sense of peace and security, the most deceptive quicksand that's ever been devised for mankind because the false peace will pull and deceive the world into following the Antichrist. Even now the cage is being planned and intercessions in hell, an entrapment to lure the world right into this false peace. This international peace is the catnip. Peace is the so-called carrot on the end of the proverbial stick that will lead the human race into the period known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation. And while everybody's talking about world peace, history is only repeating itself. Think of how close Hitler came to qualifying as the devil's antichrist. And as we look back and study World War II, it's fascinating to see that people in those days also held out much optimism and hope for peace with the likes of Hitler. But Winston Churchill, thank God, was one of the few leaders who wasn't duped by Hitler. On a couple of air flights, I've watched the movie Darkest Hour about Churchill's struggle to keep Britain from entering into a false peace pact with Hitler. And recently I heard a sermon on Bible prophecy mentioning how almost everybody misread Hitler and they walked right into his false peace trap and were slaughtered. The preacher, a well-known man of God, declared that it's going to happen again. Only it won't be Hitler setting the trap, it will be Antichrist. The preacher said the political direction of the world is more surely a move towards the false peace of Antichrist than towards the true peace of Jesus Christ. The preacher rightly said that Religious ecumenism is a key player in this dangerous global unity because after all, religion has divided people. And so that's why there's so much talk about interfaith meetings between the Pope and the Dalai Lama and Islamic Imams and so forth and so on. A global tolerance for anybody and any sin except biblical Christianity is being promoted along with this worldwide peace. So leaders of major religions will openly approve more and more of each other, laying aside traditional differences and doctrines, while true Bible believers will become more controversial and persecuted. There's going to be increasingly tolerance for everything except biblical faith. But I personally believe from studying this Word of God that the remnant true church will be raptured just as the false world peace begins. As the preacher said, the world will think that the biggest barrier to intolerance has been removed when true Bible believers are removed from the earth.
Right now, it's the born-again Bible believers who are the light and the salt holding back the revelation of the Antichrist. And meanwhile, people will stubbornly continue to believe that peace is coming because they've been conditioned by the media and by political and religious leaders. They don't want to hear about the consequences of sin, that a day of divine judgment is coming. And yet we should know it's coming because we're surrounded by the signs of the great apostasy. So let's blow the trumpet in Zion. There's going to be the day of the Lord, the day of fury of God's judgment. Whereas false prophets will continue to push for this temporary peace that rebels against God. False prophets will push for the new world order, the new age, but all without Jesus. Even if man's efforts bring global peace, it's not going to last, the Bible says. In the book of Daniel, we have very specific prophecies that can't be ignored and swept away. We're told in Daniel that a coming ruler will make a covenant with Israel. And covenant is just another expression from some sort of pact or alliance. Daniel the prophet foretold that the Antichrist, whom Daniel called the little horn or the king of fierce countenance, will make a peace treaty for seven years but that this Antichrist will reveal his true colors by breaking the covenant in the middle of the time period. And he will desecrate the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, making it desolate. According to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That verse says he will confirm a covenant with many for literally one seven. That's Bible code language for one week of sevens, or in other words, seven years. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offerings that the Jews are going to restart. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed and is poured out on him. So Bible scholars understand that in the middle of the week, meaning after three and a half years, the Antichrist will put a stop to the Jewish sacrificial system and the offerings, and he will commit the abomination of desolations in the holy place. And that was also foretold by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. He said, watch for the abomination spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Well, political leaders have been talking about a peace pact with Israel for decades. So let's not be lulled to sleep because of the cry for peace and safety. Every day, our religious Jewish friends in Israel are looking for their Messiah and hoping every day that he's going to come. There will be a peace treaty that will allow the Jews to build a temple and to do all the sacrifices they're even rehearsing right now. They're going to restart their sacrificial system and perform daily temple services with the revived Jewish priesthood. But the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. He'll defile the temple and make it desolate in his madness to conquer Israel and the world. He will set himself up as God to be worshipped by the whole world. 
So the main point I want to leave with you today is to watch for the Lord Jesus and not to forget that in the last days, the false peace treaty will begin and will entrap the world. The attitude of the church towards the second coming in the meantime should be one of expectancy any moment now. But sadly, in most of the churches, I don't see this attitude or hear a longing for the Lord to return. The second coming is going to be terrible to the wicked. They're not going to escape. So our vigilance must be constant and sober. We are day people, not night people. Therefore, our work ought to be day work and watching in the night. Let's keep from error and our hearts from sin, looking unto the Lord Jesus, and so we shall be safe. Furthermore, as a watchman upon these walls, I want to talk a bit more to you about our attitude of watching and praying. Some persons, for reasons known to the Lord, are granted a specific watchman ministry as commissioned by the Lord, which centers around Israel or around a specific nation. But until or unless we receive such a specific commission from the Lord, there are general activities to which every believer is called. And first of all is studying God's word. And then secondly, we're all called to witness and testify about the good news of the gospel. Thirdly, we're all called to make disciples. Fourthly, we're all called to give alms and to tithe, to make offerings to the work of the ministry. And number five, everyone is called to general prayer. So let's examine for a minute the prayer duties that every believer shares. First of all, in Matthew chapter six in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave us a how-to class on the subject of prayer. He taught us to pray after this manner, not in a routine way, but covering the following points on a regular basis. First of all, our prayer approach is to be humble and full of adoration by beginning our prayer such as, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then we're to make prophetic declarations such as, Thy kingdom come. Followed by ruling prayer in the midst of God's spiritual enemies, saying, Thy will be done in this earth as it is in heaven. Then come our various petitions, such as give us this day our daily bread, remembering also to keep short accounts with God and to maintain a clear conscience, saying, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we extend forgiveness to our debtors, our trespassers. Furthermore, there will be supplications and intercessions, asking God to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. Followed by praise and worship, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Now the New Testament also has other admonitions for daily prayer, that we're to pray for rulers and our leaders and for all men. And we're to supplicate to the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers because the harvest is so vast. I see it all the time as I travel the nations, but the genuine laborers are so few. And then we're to maintain an unbroken attitude of prayer throughout the day, praying often in the spirit and including prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, 
But of course, this is not prayer for the false peace. But when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the return of Jesus to rule and to restore the kingdom to Israel, ruling the millennium for a thousand years from the throne of his ancestral father, King David. You see, only when Jesus finishes his messianic mission in Jerusalem upon his second coming, will there be true and lasting peace. And this is the peace of Jerusalem that we must press into God praying for. So we're watching in prayer for the coming of the Lord, and we must be very circumspect as we see the day approaching. I was reminded recently that the famed scientist, Sir Isaac Newton, who studied the prophecies in the Bible and who was granted great insights by the Spirit of God, he left us an admonition, which I found in the Yehuda manuscript, which is quoted in Dr. Philip Moore's volume one of the end of history, Messiah conspiracy book. Sir Isaac Newton said, it's our duty to search with diligence into the Bible prophecies. He asked, why should we think the Lord will excuse us for not searching into the prophecies which he's given us to know the Antichrist and when he's coming? Because Antichrist is to seduce the whole world and therefore he may easily seduce you if you're not well prepared to discern him, Sir Isaac Newton said. And to that I say, Amen. Well, the good news is that the gospel of Jesus, the true Messiah, does have the power to save you and your loved ones. But the decision is ours. We have to make our salvation sure by making a conscious decision to surrender our lives to the Lord. The Bible teaches that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Jesus told us very solemnly that if we're not willing to forsake everything for him, we cannot be his disciples. So let's get serious with following the Lord. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, watching earnestly for the coming of the Lord. These dangerous times demand serious discipleship. And if you have any questions, I want to invite you to contact me via the social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our free magazine, Exploits. By the way, the name Exploits comes from Daniel 11.32, which says that the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits. That means we're going to do the works of the Lord. I also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.